0: onside,
1: right Here's Simms, it's a good search this from Southampton, they could finish the job here, it's Shane Long! Welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Uh, I believe it's episode 91 now. I am John Bailey, and uh, this evening with me tonight, I, I have Tom Parker. Tom, how, how are you? Yeah, been has been better Saints,
2: haven't we, John?
1: Yes, yes, we're going to get on to that, aren't we? Um, yeah, so uh, strap yourselves in, because we decided not to do a podcast last week, combination of teething babies dreadful football um and we just never kind of quite got the opportunity to do it between those parental responsibilities and um you know I'm sure if Saints had beaten Palace 8-0 we might have managed to kind of carve out the time but didn't quite manage it so which means we've got three results to get through um the loss to Palace the loss to Brentford, and the loss to Spurs so three big L's before we get onto that Tom um lots of our listeners are fans of fancy premier league football and we have a saints fc podcast amigos league so and uh, i don't know where you're listening to this listener but you know grab a pen or probably best thing to do is actually just go to the saints fc podcast at twitter and you can find the league code but if you're not on twitter here's the code for you so the normal fancy premier league football place enter the league code number 5 r w zero g a so that's five r w zero g a and then you can join the uh the saints fc amigos podcast league and um tom i think we've got you know you, you're not much of a fancy football player are you I,
2: well i'm not because every, every time i speak to people about it it basically sounds like you're taking on a second job is it is it that bad i mean i will, I will actually do it if it if it's doable
1: yeah, I, I, I mean, there's many ways to play it. So I think some people do take it on as a second job, and, and actually, some people probably spend more time being a bit fastidious about, you know, their their second job here in terms of managing their fancy football team. than They do probably about their real job. Um, but you know, I'm I'm I managed to do it, Tom. Um, we've got we've got hundred and twenty something people in the in the podcast amigos league. Um, I'm not quite in the top ten. I'm number eleventh but that's, that's not bad after two weeks.
2: A, a girl in my team who reports into me uh, was telling me with Glee earlier that she has Son and Kane in her fantasy team. Right? Oh, yeah. not good. You've got annual review coming up in October. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the sort of, you know, content that I want to hear. But, uh, no. Yeah, all right, John, you've you convinced me in. Mean.
1: Okay. Um, at the moment, a chap called Matthew Moody is winning, and his team name is Lord of the yeah. Ings. Yeah. Like yeah, there's quite a few Lord of the Ings actually. Lots of kind of <laughs> Ings based puns. Um, Don't Wreck It Ralph. PK Blinders, Show Me the Mane. Uh what else? Another Lord of the Ings. This is Ingsland. Chay Dream Believers, yeah. like that name.
2: That is very good, yeah.
1: Yeah. Bed and Erect. Very topical. Yeah. Um uh, course, there's some other good ones here. Lilanas and pajamas, that's quite good.
2: Yeah, that is good.
1: Romeo and Juliet.
2: Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I like it.
1: Yeah. Um
2: It's more entertaining than watching fans at the moment.
1: Yeah, I d I I I think, think you're you're probably right. Cool Run Ings, Stranger Ings, Wind Beneath My Ings. I think Ings is probably the uh <laughs> Jar Winks there we go anyway right that's that, that's the fun part of the podcast over so if you want to join the Saints FC Podcast League um, on the Fantasy Football it's 5RW0GA and uh, we might even wrestle up a prize by the end of the season and hopefully Tom can be persuaded to put his, his team in as well
2: yeah I will do. I'll do it I'm off to the Isle of Wight this weekend I'm not giving the time to do it so yeah
1: you're off to the Isle of Wight oh <laughs>
2: Yeah, holiday. We're
1: meant to go in Portugal tomorrow. Cancelled, Cancel. Cancel. going to the other wine stuff. Oh mate, it's just oh, as hot, and the pastel donatas are not quite as good. But there we go. Um, right, so Tom, should we deal with this in chronological order? Quick bit on Palace, quick yeah. bit on Brentford, and then pick up the pieces of the Spurs game.
2: Yeah, it's all building towards that
1: Spurs game, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Palace away, we lost one 0 Zaha scored a goal very early on, Romeo mistake, um, which led to Andros Townsend being able to put in the ball, Zaha was at the back post. Um, All sounding quite familiar, isn't it? Familiar from the bad old days of Saints. And did did you see all the bits, you know, all the kind of posts doing the rounds before this? I think like the Athletics, Sky Sports, a whole bunch of um, kind of football news outlets did this poll on which fans are the most hopeful. And the Saints fans came out as the most hopeful. So I think on the Sky Sports poll, 100% of Saints fans were more hopeful at the start of this season. And on the Athletic, it was about 97%. So fairly conclusive. Everyone's really hopeful. Why not? Because, I mean, Project Restart Saints were absolutely awesome. Yeah. And then I think this was a bit of a, bit of a kind of a bump back to reality, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, it's weird because it's, it's so everything that you, that, you know, that sort of typified Saints during restart, the sort of dynamism, the energy, the closing down, the press, uh, the incisiveness just was totally lacking against Palace. It was almost like, um, you know, the, the levels of fitness yeah. weren't there. Um, you know, Palace had had exactly the, of, the same amount of time to prepare for that game as Saints, but they looked so much stronger. Um, you know, overall I think you know, uh, uh, probably more ring more less ring rusty, Shay Adams and Danny Ings, you know, puts one of those chances half a yard of Geiter and it's it's one on one, it's not a bad result, but just things look very flat and luck didn't they?
1: Yeah. I mean I was watching this one with my brother and you know, he said of Geiter, Oh, he always makes two good saves in a game. That's his quota. And I think this is this is probably the problem from Saints—the fact that you know 90 minutes of football against Palace, and we only had two decent chances where we asked the question. One of those, like literally, right at the death of the game, with Ings's header. Mm. Um, his save from Adams was was pretty good because the ball came at him quite fast. But you know, both of those chances, you want to be putting it a little bit further away from the keeper. Um,
2: well, that's Adams, isn't it? Kind of not all over. That's a bit. Harsh, but um, you know it's, it's almost it's one of those players, isn't it, where it is always you know any you know a few yards either side, but it just isn't enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think we'll talk about Adams. Just seems to be like the unluckiest striker, doesn't he? I, I thought we'd kind of dealt with that in Project Restart, but he seems to be kind of suffering those same, I don't know, injustices of chance. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he he's had yeah. enough shots that you would have expected him to have scored by now already, but they're just not happening. And we saw that, in, you know, for a long part of last season. Hopefully it won't take him as long to get off the mark this season. Um,
2: there was, um, yeah, we'll, we'll come to it maybe, John, but there was a, a point about why Saints should be optimistic. I'm going to try and find the tweet why Saints still be optimistic, despite the opening three games. But, uh, yeah, what is, is, I'll, I'll find it. We'll, is this what well, following the to-
1: Palace game or following all three games? Well,
2: following is all three games. Okay. Um, uh, I will. I will try and find it. Well, di- on
1: dig that out, Tom, because I think there's a couple of other bits as well which we need to pick out from the Palace game, which then make more sense when we're talking about the Brentford and Tottenham games, and we kind of build up. I, I think we're, it's almost like um, if we're gonna we're gonna have a thesis here and we're gonna build up to a bit of a Saints analysis. Um. There were a couple of warning shots as well. So Zaha's offside goal. So do, do you remember this one, Tom? So the Saints players were pretty much well, standing on half time. Yeah, didn't he do
2: this? Didn't he do this twice? Didn't he in quick succession? Yeah. He got away. Yeah. One he spanked wide horribly, um, and then the other it, it was given. I think this new offside rule is terrifying. Yeah. Isn't it this this kind of like we're only going to raise the flag once you've scored i i
1: I kind Um, of get it because obviously one of the things that var is much better at than any human being could ever be is offside because you can draw those lines on the pitch and you can get it you know to um you know someone's ass was slightly you know a millimeter further ahead which is that's that's the rule and they can get it absolutely bang on with VAR.
2: Well, there's, a, there's probably a strong argument that linesmen shouldn't even bother doing offside. No. You know, and they should be looking for somewhere else because, you know, what's the point? But it is, it is hairy, but you're right. We, it was all there against Palace, wasn't it, John? That, that you know, Zaha playing that high line. And Saints, you know, whilst they have some pacey fallbacks, I, I don't think you could argue that Stevens or Bednarek is... Uh, it's
0: a pacey sense back. No, right. Pacey sense
2: backs are quite rare. And um, they did it twice against us. Yeah. With, with Zaha.
1: Which, which I think is a bit of a warning shot, isn't it? Because we all know what happened in the game against Tottenham. Um, And, th- and there was another thing as well here, which uh, I noticed, say, Alex McCarthy, I think, is being asked to play uh, what Ralph would call a libero, which mm-hmm. is basically, I think, the Italian word for sweeper. And it's kind of when you're asking your goalkeeper to be the sweeper. So picking up the loose balls that go over the top and being an extra defender. And he's doing that sometimes. But for the shot that um, Zaha didn't put away when he kind of broke through, I thought McCarthy should have come for that. And he kind of did. And and then he retreated. And I don't know whether he just thought, Zaha's quicker than me. I'm not going to get stuck in this race. But there's, yeah. there's been a few times where I think McCarthy has you know, he, he's taken to that libero sort of role. Come out a few times when I've thought oof, did you really need to come out there? And then there's been a couple of times where he's not come out and I've thought actually that's where you want your keeper charging forward because that gives you a better chance of stopping that attack turning into a goal.
2: And against Tottenham, we'll come to Tottenham, but for Son's first goal I think he did a combination of the two. When yeah. he came out, and then panicked, or whatever he did, and then, but because he'd come out, he then couldn't really set himself up for the save. I felt so. You almost, you know, you get the the worst of both worlds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, well,
2: but yeah, you're right. I mean, oh, you know, oh, I mean, that game should have ended three 0
1: Yeah, and it, I I think probably what is most disappointing about that, and you know, we've talked about Saints opening day record before i mean people kind of like maybe pick on the last 20 odd years because you're looking at the premier league i mean i think we've won three times in the in the premier league era but that saints home record or that uh, win record from the first game of the season goes back to like the 1950s before we can have actually had anything approaching a normal win rate um so you know that happens But then Palace away We're normally quite good at We won there 2-0 last season So if there's going to yeah. be A time to break have we've got,
2: we've got a pretty good record I mean even Even I think Mark Hughes Led us to victory Yeah Palace
1: Yeah I think um, I, I watched A um, rare Pellegrino win At Palace I think
2: I think I was there For Palace When we looked like We'd signed I spoke about For the two best players In the world In Wesley Hoyt And Mario Lemieux. Mean, yeah <laughs> We thought oh my God, aside like Beckenbauer and you know Patrick Vieira, but that <laughs> no, we hadn't um, yeah, so it's a you know it's a it's a it's a ground with good hunting you know yeah. for the saints and so and also it was a game you'd probably look at and go, yeah, you know, that's a, you know it's, it was kind of ended last season terribly, um it made some smart signings, but you know it was a game where you thought, you know I'm not a gambling man, but you'd think oh saints good saints should get three points here. yeah.
1: Kudos to Roy Hodgson as well. I mean, that man is still knocking out a, a career as a decent football manager in like well into his seventies, Tom. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Still manages yeah, to get the result, I mean, get he, the business done, doesn't he? Yeah, but
2: you you're not there. You know, like, if you think about it, like he's what, like seventy two or something. Oh Roy Hodgson. Yeah, he he has gotta be in his seventies.
1: Yeah. You, um, you make your point, and, Tom, I'll look well, up his age.
2: He was born 1947, so yeah, not in quite that 73 years um, old. 73 years old. And, yeah, uh, you, know, you don't still get these jobs. You know, he's managed, I'm looking here, 16 different teams in eight countries. You don't keep getting jobs unless you're really good. And also, he's, he's done far better with with uh, Paris than he ever really should have done, yeah. um, considering the amount of investors have made in the team. And, you know, you look, last year, their, their top goal scorer, I think, had six goals think so they don't have natural goal scorers so it's incredible what he's done um, he's just a very smart manager isn't
1: he yeah I, I, I guess he you know he's able to kind of keep up with the times as well which is quite important and, and we've seen much younger managers start to look you know, much more like dinosaurs long before Roy Hodgson ever will anyway so th- mm. let's, let's move on from Palace and you know this isn't the Roy Hodgson fan podcast so thanks Roy we'll <laughs> move on now we're not going to talk about you again until later in the season um and we have brentford at home you think league cup uh early round, play our stronger side it's going to be good for match fitness it's you know let's get some confidence let's get some goals and this is probably my least favorite of the three performances actually tom which which kind of sounds a bit mad when we consider that we consider five goals on sunday but um this game was was really really bad um i was very upset by how exposed we were by brentford's attacking play and i was very upset by how flat we were going forward um i I think you know we were kind of tactically inept in in this game and you know I I can take a loss where you know you've absolutely battered the opposition. You've had loads of chances. You know their keepers had a blinder. Uh, you know, world class performance or something like that. But there was there was none of that in in this game really. I mean, Adams hit the post, and then I don't think I can really think of another chance really in the whole no, game. Well,
2: but, that means you know, if he'd connected. You'd argue, you know, that was a that was what the the error, Euro '96 one, except it- yeah, it just you know, but it was awful. Mm. I mean, I think you know, I I think you and I were talking at the time. We said it's probably the worst performance since the Everton game mm. because you know, while Saints will lose by bigger margins as they then showed a few days later, um, the only thing you can't like, I you know, footballers are like anyone you imagine, and everyone has a bad day at the office occasionally, but what you, what always baffles me is there are 11 of them there, there is a manager there, and there is another, what, like seven on the subs bench, six possible subs. How do they all have a bad day? You know, collectively, it's a fascinating phenomenon of, of, of um, you know, team sport. You know, like I, I, I don't watch golf. But one of the things I find fascinating at golf is like the mental resilience because mm-hmm. you're doing it by yourself, you know. Or tennis, you have yeah. no one else to pick you up um, and tell you it's all going to be all right. And if, I mean, the Saints were a great example of a team that just like they didn't want to be there. It was almost like they were playing um, in the FA Cup final like four days later, and no one wanted to stick foot in and maybe get injured. Yeah, it was just so weird. And and if you think like the Saints have to be realistic, they're not going to win the Premier League they're probably going to struggle to win the FA Cup. Carabao Cup, the abomination that it is, is actually a really good chance for them to make some progression and get some silverware. And, you know, the game that it's comparable to, is not just the everything game, but it's a game you and I have spoken about several times before, which is Sheffield United away under kuman when Saints had a good chance to go through and they didn't take it. And they just lack of effort and a lack of commitment and the players should, you know, their hands up on my, on on Tuesday or when Tuesday night. They were awful, yeah. really, really awful. They stunk the place out. It was and it, uh, got mates look silly.
1: Yeah, it was, it, it was really dreadful. And it's it's not the first time that Saints have had an early season or early round knockout from the Carabao Cup. I mean, uh, do you remember the Wolves game? I think it was Bednarek's debut. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was a similar sort of dreadful performance. I remember kind of like traipsing down on a Tuesday night and it just being so you go bad. To that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, Saints got murdered. I mean, I think that one of the things it does show, and this is not about Saints, but it's the quality, isn't it, of good championship teams. Mm. You yeah, know, they're no longer like just Hoopers. I mean, you know, Brentford's wingers look really good, but my God, like, we just looked off the pace and we didn't know what we were doing. And it uh, looked like they couldn't wait to be off the pitch, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first goal was absolutely criminal, wasn't it? I mean, have you ever seen someone so unmarked in a corner before? I'm, I'm not sure if I have.
2: It's a centre-back. You know, it's not like a little winger, but no one's picking up one. It's one yeah. of their bloody centre-backs. Um, both their goals were awful goals to concede. And I think, you know, what was, what was weird is, um, you know, again, like Brentford, would have had the same amount of time to prepare as Saints. So why do Saints look so unfit and so unup for it compared to a Brentford team who, have, you know, who have lost two, who are about to lose, you know, the second of their three best attacking players they've ever had, mm. but they still look more up for it and more incisive than Saints. Yeah. And and that thing you can forgive a lot, but surely like the one thing you expect is just effort.
1: Well, and I, I, I think a level of fitness you'd expect as well. For, you know, we know that Ralph's preferred style of football re- is a high energy football. But the, the other thing which frustrated me here as well, I think Long and Obafemi were brought on in the 80, mm. was it eighty fourth minute.
2: Romeo was on the pitch. Was it Romeo
1: who came off? No, the, was on the pitch the whole time. So Redmond came off because he was injured for Gianneppe. He had a knock. And then he didn't change up Teller and Adams until the 84th minute. And yeah, that's the other question. Like, okay, I know what the answer is, but why are you playing a defensive midfielder yeah. in a game I against agree. Brentford? You know, Romeo put in some absolutely brilliant performances in Project Restart. I mean, I think you, you look at the Man City going, perfect game for him, but you can go around kicking the seven shades of whatever wow. out of people you know <laughs> and um and uh, and that's a great job but in a game where you know you're going to have more possession uh against aside from a, a division belay you need some more creative spark in the center of midfield you don't need oriel or romeo there and um you know it transpired we had 66 percent of the possession um Okay, so according to the stats, we had 11 shots. Only three were on target. And I think only two chances were really of any sort of level of quality. So it just shows you that that we weren't incisive in our attacking. And you then say the answer to the why are we playing Romero question is, well, basically, who else are we going to play? We've only really got two senior centre midfielders, as we discussed in our last podcast, Tom. Which begs the other question, why have we not replaced Hoiberg? I mean, we knew he wanted yeah. to be going, like a long, long time ago. Um, I think we were talking about Hoiberg leaving probably back in January or February. And... and I
2: think he made it clear to the club by all accounts, like, I'm I'm going to go. Mm. You know, like, I want to win the Premier League, I want to win the FA Cup, I want to play in Champions League. You know, I'm going to have to go. Um, and it's a you know, saying from their famous recruitment. Well, to be honest, for a number of years now, they've actually got it more wrong than they've got right. I mean, I was looking, you know, Gineppo for all his flashes of skill, started ten games last season.
0: Mm.
2: You know, I mean, that's just that's not enough. You know, for a player that's one of your big summer signings. I mean, Shadams started twelve games, and you know, that's what like nearly thirty million pounds worth of transfer fees. You know, between them, not not even starting, you know, two thirds of the games of the season, it's it's really poor, and um, it's not a reflection on their quality, but you've got to get more out of these players, and you can only imagine that Saints had someone lined up, and they thought it was a done deal. I mean, I'm amazed they've let Hoiberg go, and I thought, you know, a lot of the Saints fans. I think we spoke about this before on Twitter. We're like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, we've done brilliantly in Project Restart without Hoiberg. We don't need him. He's actually our third best centre midfielder. Nonsense. You know, you don't get to be 25 years old, 38 caps or whatever it is for Denmark, youngest player to play for Bayern Munich, highly rated by Guardiola. You know, you don't get to be that if you're not very good. And yeah, of course, he, you, you know, he blew hot and cold like they all do. But you know, if we're a team that's got to be playing on the front foot, passing forward, breaking the lines, um, driving forward, then Hoiberg gave us that. And it was, you know, Romeo has many skills, and we're all big fans, but that's not his game. Yeah. And the problem is he's making Ward proud. Yeah, It's making Ward Prowse look worse. I'm not saying it's Romeo The system is just not working. You know, you know same, now you've got what? He's got two weeks left of the transfer window. Every club they go to is going to know that they're at. They've lost three games. They've looked rudderless. But every club they're going to go to, a they're any, they're not going to get the players they want. B the players they're going to get is going to cost them an absolute fortune because they've yeah. got them over a pound. And yeah, I think I think we're mad to let Hoiberg go. I almost think that if we couldn't have got someone, they should have just made Hoiberg stay out his contract.
1: Yeah. Kind of like yeah, I mean we've done that before. I guess they wanted to cash in. I, th- I think this is there's there's a few kind of questions which are again coming up. We're going to be asking more questions of the club here. I think so. Um, the club want to make sure that they get some money for Hoiberg They don't want him to run out of his contract and then have to sell him for nothing or get nothing because that doesn't fit with their business model, which is about player trading and which I don't necessarily think is a business model that works in the premier league when you're competing with oligarchs and you know multi-billionaires who have their their clubs as their kind of like pet projects but the 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 other thing as well which um i thought kind of really interesting about us not replacing hoiberg is there's i think there's an article from dan sheldon the athletics saying i think it was martin simmons was saying about how we have like five players lined up for each position. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're not only just scouting, you know, all of our players' replacements, but maybe the replacements for them after that. And I'm sorry, but if you had five replacements for Hoiberg lined up, then, well, if Weston McKennie was one of them, and you've understood why we've not got that, it's because he got and offered a chance at Juventus and he performed very well at the weekend. So where's, you know, where's the number, where's eight, number three, two, four, three, five. four, five? You know, yeah. where, where are they? I mean, I the other thing is that they've, they've also said a lot about Smallbone and they've got lots of high hopes for him. But Smallbone and Hoiberg are not, they're not the same sort of player either. So I just don't buy that. I think you can be excited about Smallbone and want to bleed him through. But, you know, for a player who's played best part of 30 games in all of the last four seasons, you need to have someone who's coming in who can be, at the very least, a good solid first team player
2: yeah I mean look it's, it's madness and I think we're in a bit of a pickle here I don't think I mean I was, you know, there are some real Cassandras out there who you know, start talking about relegation I, I don't think it's anything like that but we we have got a problem and it's you know if we lose we've got three sentiment field players in our squad mm. three I mean there's no way you can look at it unless we sign someone in the next week or so, and, and I think the narrative today changed to, well, actually, you'll probably, you know, might well be somewhere alone. Um It's going to end up, you know, it's a stopgap, isn't it? And the problem is the rest of the league is moving forward A a, a rate of knots. You know, you look at the players, like, you know, Aston Villa are signing, um, and that's before you even get to, you know, Everton, you know, when they get got a whole new midfield. And you know, I would love to have seen something like St. Schoen's ambition to go for someone like Decore. Yeah. Yeah, kind of real dynamic box-to-box midfielder, but we're not, well, how and we're always...
1: Rodriguez? I mean, wow. What a signing for
2: everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's huge money. I mean, like, but the, the problem is, is, you know, my granddad who, uh, you know, was not, um, you know, had no interest in thoughts about things, but he always said cheap is dear. And it's true. The problem is, you know, you buy cheap. Yeah. Sometimes you get lucky, but sooner or later you get caught out mm. and saying to try to be clever. And maybe they thought they were getting McKennie, but you know we now go into this season playing a very aggressive form of football with three centre midfielders to do it. And, you know we're only—I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, if we get a next game, Romelu gets sent off, it's not unlikely. Um, someone pulls a hamstring. Who are your two centre midfielders that are going to come in? I mean, you look at then you're looking at you are looking at Jack Stevens playing midfield, or an 18 year from the academy. Mm. It, it is just—it's criminal how they've let it happen, um, and it just—it just strikes you as so well unnecessary.
1: Yeah, I—I I think this has been one of those occasions where we've been talking ourselves up a bit in terms of how clever we are, and the reality is, is that we're this, you know, we're six points down in a season already, and we still haven't solved the problem, which should have been solved before the season started um and to and be honest could six have even down. Could, I mean it could have even Sorry. been solved months and months ago but yeah go on tom make your point
2: but, six, but it was the six six points down from two games last season that we actually got six points
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly that point
2: tom. so these, you know we've not gone to like man city away and played liverpool at home and you go well we're never going to get anything from those games anyway
1: yeah no, we we we've got some catching up to do with with last season's team which is not good you don't want to be going backwards Right, so I mean, we've talked, we've uh, done some mining. We haven't even got onto the Spurs game in earnest yet. So, Spurs at home. um, Yeah, I think the first half performance was quite good. There were some warning signs. Kane's VAR offside goal was an early warning sign, I think, about perhaps you know the 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 kind of whole high line may not entirely work for the whole thing. We had uh Loris made a, a really good save from from Che Adams. Uh we had Ings with his VAR disallowed handball which he, he knew all about. Um, Gineppo hit the post. So yeah. they, you know we did well. That that that, that was a,
2: well done. It
1: was a really good well, kind of no, opening opening part of the, the game. And then eventually you know, walker Peters plays a very clever through ball Ings latches. I mean this finish from Ings is just vintage Ings isn't it it's such a relief to see him score a goal like this because when you've been so reliant on a striker getting you goals from half chances as Ings has managed to demonstrate last season to see him get a goal and a finish like this from a tight angle and a through ball, three ball was, was really really lovely um, so you're really happy at this point 1-0 up cruising towards their half time
2: Managing the game as well. You know, manage the initial 15 minutes or so. At Spurs, mm. Obviously, after having a rocket against Everton, after the Everton game, you know, managing the game, wrestling control of the game in midfield, score a goal, really good goal. And then what happens, John?
1: Well, then basically, Son happens. Or is it, does Son happen or does Harry Kane happen or just does both or does? Well, both. Just isn't sense it? And happen?
2: I mean, also. A, it's a good example of, and I said this to my Arsenal Spurs support and watching the game. And I said, you know, we've got it's all Saints is all well and good until you break the press. Yeah. And that's exactly what Endonville did with a brilliant bit of skill. He just took out both centre midfield players, and that's it, isn't it? At that point, you know, that's and we're still, and we're playing such a high line. And where are the Saints players at this point? Are they the defenders are? Well, they're virtually on the halfway line.
1: Yeah. And I, I think this is the point that Ralph was trying to make in the post match interview is that your pressure's got to be better if you're playing a high defensive line. But I mean, I suppose this is the frustration of having Romeo in there is that we're not even doing that pressing bit as well as we should be. Mm.
2: Um, I mean, he got booked in after like four or five minutes. And that yeah. Was yeah.
1: Which Which is not ideal, is it? If your midfield destroyer ends up on a yellow card that early on. And, and this was the one which I was talking about version. earlier, where I think kind of earlier in this game McCarthy had come for a few things and made everyone go eek and then he didn't come for this one did he?
2: Well he started to Yeah He makes a weird diagonal run out and, he, and then he obviously realises he can't get there and then he starts to move backwards and when I watched I couldn't work out how Son solid scored because he almost went like, well there's no angle is there but then there's no angle if McCarthy has a set of arms. Mm. And in particular, if McCarthy has a right arm, but McCarthy doesn't, i this; like, He shoots. And it sort of just goes straight through where McCarthy's arm, you'd have thought, you know, why? I don't, I mean, I'm not a goalkeeper. I've never been a goalkeeper, but I'm five foot six. I feel it was, I'm scared of things flying at me at flopsies, so I'd be a terrible goalkeeper. But, like, why are his arms down by his side? You know, like, why are his arms not? up, at least in kind of a raised position, mm. to give himself more, to make himself bigger. But, it, you know, you watch the shot flies past him and the balls, the balls hit the back of the net and, and you see, you know, belatedly the right arm of McCarthy come up. And it was just a really awful goal to concede on so many levels. But also you kind of knew that the psychological havoc it would wreak on and the psychological boost it would give to Bert.
1: It's one of those things, isn't it? Like quite often, football cliches um, are kind of dismissed as nonsense, but sometimes there's a little bit of truth to them, isn't there? And that whole idea of like you know, conceding just before half time is the worst time to concede a goal, and, and we've seen that here, haven't we? Because the second half was a totally different game from the first half. You know, it was the first half Saints showed themselves to be certainly pretty exciting going forward, um, some frailties at the back. I, I think kind of the the probably the feeling at halftime was that the game could have already have been about three three, um, but then the second half was just dreadful, and we saw the offside trap not working for Son's next goal, um, which you know put Spurs you know, on that upward trajectory. And I think Adams had a chance, and then the next two goals have I've got written down exactly the same text in my. Um, Notes here, Tom. Son next goal, chip through ball. Sun next goal, chip through ball.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it was weird because. Well, go on. Sorry, John. Go on.
1: What, I mean, that's that's a frustration, isn't it? Because you've got to learn, haven't you? Where's the in game management? So you've had.
2: But this is the thing, isn't it? Like, we've got one game, John. We don't have a plan B. No. You know, on one yeah. game, is the press part with the pitch.
1: But then the high defensive line has not always been in plan A. So why
2: can't we... Is this, is this a new thing? This high, I mean, I think this is... is it, I don't remember us being caught out like this it's last a, season.
1: No, we're, we're definitely playing higher. I think he, he tried it against Arsenal at home and it didn't work. And then Ketia made a mockery of us and trying to play McCarthy as the, um, as the sweeper.
2: Yeah, the libero, yeah.
1: Um. Lots of the other games, I mean, one of the things I noticed about um, Project Restart is quite often we'd hold onto the ball a bit longer in defence to try and draw the opposition out. So when we had possession and, um, you know, I don't know what sort of possession you call it, tepid or it's like it was not incisive possession. They would try and, you know, try and draw the opposition out, which I think you can do when they're chasing a game and then it gives you a chance to exploit that with the counter attack or, or by stretching the play but um you know we beat Man City not by having a high defensive line we got that draw against Man United not by having a high defensive line the the only one I you know I think you could have gone deeper if you it shouldn't take you that long to realize that Benrick and Stevens haven't got the running of um of Son And, and you know with Kane dropping in deep and playing those through balls they were, they were just unplayable for us and it shouldn't be that way, you know? Why are we letting Kane get in between the lines playing those yeah. three balls to Son? Like, we know how good those players are.
2: Also, Son has scored, I think on the commentary they said he'd scored something like six goals against Saints. Yeah, in his, in his Premier League career. So, like, this is not like an unknown. Contest.
1: No, and Kane's got and 10, know 10 games against, Saints, you know, yeah. which is just like you know. If there's two players that we knew we needed to w- look out for,
2: supposed and also like, we're not playing with pace. You know, like Stevens and Bednarik look very laboured, and you know what was fascinating is I, I watched a bit. I didn't watch all the players' interviews because, to be honest, I was sick on the summit. But I watched Harry Kane talking, and he said, "I you know we spoke," and he sat there with Son. And Son looked you know, please, As a dog with And he said, oh, you know, we'd been watching the, We watched in the run-up to the game. And, you know, I just, I knew that they'd play a high line. So I just needed, we needed to get Sonny in. So I was always just looking for him. Mm. But the crazy thing was, like, yeah, Kane's passes are brilliant. But they're also, like, you wonder, like, how, I mean, they're possibly, like, speculative. You know, aren't they? They're just like, I know he's going to be faster. I know that they're going to play really hard with pitch, but also I know my bloke is faster. Well, so I just need to get the ball in an area where he can win a, a, a foot race.
1: It's, I mean, it's such a dangerous tactic, isn't it? Because it's got to work out, right? Either you've got to nail the offside trap um, or you've got to be really fast in the recovery. So a player like Virgil van Dijk would be able to recover or, you some of these. Out, uh, or you have a goalkeeper rapid that comes out. Or you have a goalkeeper that comes out rapid pace and deals with it. Um but you know, if you look at Son, Son is a player who loves to run into space. If your defensive line is up there, like right on the halfway, which it was for some of these goals, you've got so much space in your half before there's McCarthy. So McCarthy's now got to be kind of out like... So you look at the Chardom's goal against Man City. That's a goalkeeper playing a libero position. So Edison is way off his line. He's way out there because that stops Saints from being able to play into that space. So when Man City are pressing high up the pitch, there's not a huge gap between the Man City defensive line and the goalkeeper which one of our attackers could potentially run into. Okay, Chardom's exploits that with an amazing finish lobbing Edison. Not many... You know, players can do that, and the, and the option doesn't the opportunity doesn't present itself very often. But having all of that space for Son to run into is just suicidal from a tactical point of view. Either get McCarthy right up the pitch, or drop the defenders a little bit further back, and have more coming from from your midfield block. Um, m- maybe, but,
2: why, but John, why are our tactics not? Why is he not looking at the first players? going, okay, right, well, Son's definitely going to start. Yeah, you know, Son wasn't like some surprise sprung off the bench. He's probably one of the top ten strikers in the, on the planet, isn't he? But, like, you know, in efficiency, just ruthless. And you know, why have we not like gone? Okay, we've got a game plan. up the pitch? Is it wise? You know, you're not playing Chris Woods of Burnley. Mm. You know, you're playing a bloke who is a speed merchant who's playing up front with another bloke who if he doesn't score, he can find brilliant, a bit like Rudy, used to be able to see, you know, brilliant passes all day long. So what, you know, and also we're playing so high up the pitch that Son doesn't need, the outside trap's not even a thing because the, the pace we're playing, the rate we're playing so high up the pitch, the pace that Son has, you know, the equation minus the, you know, the slowness of Ardekin, I mean, Son doesn't even have to play in our half.
1: No, no, I, I think He can
2: play from his own half. He
1: was, he was making with, runs know, from his own, own half, yeah.
2: Yeah. So like it just it just didn't work. And the the mad thing was like, you know, we got caught out at the end of the first half. But then we just didn't change, did we? We were like um you know, we were just like walking into the machine gun mm. every single time and it it got so bad that you know, I it remind I mean I've never actually watched the nine nil. Um but it from everything I've read, it reminded me of it. You know where, like Saints are just trying to do the same thing and getting murdered every time.
1: But I mean, we had so many more excuses available to us in that in that game. I mean, I, I think this. You know, there's it's just yeah. There's again, you know, so many questions we have to ask of Ralph. Like everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I, I like uh, I, you know, I absolutely adore Ralph. I think he's the right manager for the team, but he needs to learn his lesson. Um, there needs to be a plan B. I, I picked out a quote from him. After his very first game, which was a one-nil loss um, away to Cardiff, Cardiff, yeah, and he was quoted as saying, "We don't lose a match; we either win or we learn." And I just remember thinking, like, "Oh, what a guy!" That you know, that sounds like my kind of manager. To say, you know, we're not going to get down in the dumps when we lose. We're going to learn why we lost and work out how we eradicate that. But I, d- I don't know. Can we ask the question: Is Ralph? actually heeding to that is he learning from his mistakes like nobody's infallible i'm not asking him to be infallible but i'm asking him to be more pragmatic you know the yeah but uh, and, and maybe, well, maybe, he doesn't, maybe maybe he doesn't do that no. maybe like it's ralph ball and it's you know it's my way well, on no, the highway and you know, I know that we'll win x number of games if we play this particular way, and sometimes we'll get found out, but most of the time it will work, and we'll end up you know with good mid table position or something. but you know what it's it's kind of a bit like so you look at Saints under Pochettino and play with a very specific way, and it worked most of the time, but sometimes if a team had figured us out, it just didn't work and then Ronald Koeman came in. And he utilised some of Pochettino's tactics, but he was more pragmatic. So he changed the tactics based on who we were playing. Didn't and always work, but yeah, and the personnel. But we ended up with a higher position and more points under Ronald Koeman than we did under Pochettino. And yet, you might argue that you know, well, Pochettino definitely has a stronger management philosophy. You know, to use the to coin the phrase. But have we got? Does Ralph need to learn to be more pragmatic? Yeah, if if we, yeah, if we put I, I that think, question uh, to him. sorry,
2: Tom, but he would probably ask. I, you know, I imagine he would ask you of the question. Where the question is like, do you think I have to play it to be able to be pragmatic? And he doesn't like we are incredibly weak across. Uh, I would argue, you know, apart from at centre back and in goal, uh, we have a very weak spot. You know, we have a we have one striker who can rely on to score goals. Three strikers, you know, one in Chatham, so who might score your goal. I would I don't think you can rely on over along Long to get you goals. Um we have a misfiring Redmond. We have a wildly in, you know, a wildly inconsistent. In Epo. Same with Bufal. Um Chief Armstrong actually is probably super consistent. But then if he's not playing there's no backup. You know, you'd argue that really ready to go. We have three-second midfielders, as we've discussed. Yeah, you know, the, the club has to back uh, Ralph with the players, and they've not done that. You know, by allowing Hojbjerg to go and not bringing in a quality replacement, they have made his life very, very difficult. Um, now, one counter argument you could argue was the high line. Is that we have signed the player, play the high line. We've just not seen him yet, and maybe we'll see him on Saturday. You know, maybe this is the Van Dyke, the the sort of cultured, pacey. Don't worry, you know, everyone, don't panic. Centre back in police, maybe we've got him, but like, but we don't have him on that pitch now, and you know, and it it must be a, it's a lot of expectation, isn't it, on a what twenty one year old bloke who's played thirty odd games in in the Liga. I can't yeah. mean, if that's the plan. but I mean, yeah, you know, he I we've said for a while that we lack a plan B and particularly in games where we have the possession. You know, we've always said you know, we're great without the ball, but we struggle with the ball. And again, you know, like you say, Brentford sixty six percent sessions, the garbage. Um you know, I I I've not I don't see the numbers, but I, I bet we weren't that far off having equal possession to Tottenham. But part of it as well is, is it comes down to ruthlessness, John, doesn't it? And it comes down to, you know, Son is one of the best strikers in the world and Son when he leaves Spurs will probably go to, what, Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, like that kind of calibre of of team. Um, Atletico Madrid, somewhere like that. Yeah, we We've not. We've got you know, and I like the guy a lot, but we've got Shay Adams. And it's that's the difference, isn't it? Like Shay Adams has that chance after half time after half time. It's not easy, but it's also not impossible. It's a low shot from inside the box. It's really well weighted past him and he hits it straight at um Lurice. Straight at uh at And you know, if some Son doesn't do that, one gets a chance, Some scores a goal. Same with Harry Kane.
1: I mean, same with Danny Ings. To be fair, for the vast majority of the times, so, you know, you bangs yeah. it in. But that you, you're right. There's not there's not loads of players across the squad that that other teams are going to be looking at really enviously. And I, I know Saints are asking the manager to make them better, but there's only so there is only so much you can do. I mean, if you look at last season, we finished kind of roughly the same air as Everton. And you, you talk about the players that Everton have brought in. Um. You know, big money transfers don't always work out, but, you know, there's a lot of quality there that, that they can rely on. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it needs to happen. I mean, we, we we kind of need to move on, but um, before we do, I think I need to read out an email from Gary, um, Gary Seward. He came on the podcast at the start of last season and he sent us an email at, at com if you want to do the same as Gary has. Uh, hi, guys. After a performance like that, I feel inclined to go to type. Now, the rawness has subsided a little. I suppose we have to spare a bit of focus on how dominant we were in the first half. Plenty of movement, cohesion, clever interplay, Spurs lit shocking in comparison. If we'd gone in 1 nil up at half time, would it have been any different? I'm guessing Jose gave his boys a right rollicking at half time and reminded them that our back line are adjusting to playing the high line that we provide plenty of space in behind as a consequence. Certainly Kane and Son made reference to that uh, tactic in their post-match interview. So do believe Ralph is currently playing Russian Roulette with our early season points talent and sacrificing a good solid start with the aim of bedding in his long-term strategy? All seems a bit samey to last season. post burning away at the last of the season, it was... Clearly apparent Ralph had settled on a system of play that wasn't working particularly well. Are we going to do the same this season? Food for thought. Uh, very much looking forward to the next podcast. Keep up the good work. I think he's referring to us, Tom, rather than Saints and Ralph in that one. Uh, thank you very much for the email, Gary. Really good to hear from you. And uh, do email in if you want to. Um, of supercast at gmail.com. W- what do you think about Gary's points there? Are, w- are we trying to bed in a new way of playing that... May or may not work and take them risking that on real, actual life Premier League games. And you know, we're six points worse off than we were in those two fixtures last season.
2: You we have to hope so, don't you, John? Because I mean, what's the alternative? I mean, the probably the worst thing we could do now is go to Burnley and try and change it, I guess. Because also you know what Burnley are going to do, which is they're going to just want long balls up in the air. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I hope so. I mean, maybe, maybe it's Salisu. Maybe Salisu is the is the piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, that, that will enable this system to work. I mean, I don't think. You know, if I was both Bednarek and Stevens, I'd be quite worried about my position. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if on Saturday uh, you do see Salisu and maybe Vestigar. Yeah. You know, to cope with the aerial threat, although we know how that worked last season. But you kind of got to hope that Ralph has a, a long term strategy. I mean look, I mean we probably sound and I yeah, we are I, you know we might have had a little bit of panic. I imagine Raffles and, and the players probably aren't panicked at all. Um they're probably thinking they were unlucky against Palace. Mm. These things happen in cup games and you know we came up against two world class strikers, both of which probably um are not like worried about their position but with with Bale coming in, but have probably been given, you know, you can imagine everyone around Spurs a massive lift.
0: Yeah, 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 and definitely.
2: the forwards are now thinking like, you know, there's three places. I don't want to be the place to lose. The place to go out Um, So they've gone on a masterclass. But you know, I mean, there probably are some positives from Tottenham. You know, if we ignore the defense, we did look good. Um, we scored a penalty times. We scored a penalty. You know, as you say, uh, Danny scored a brilliant goal. Yeah, um, he found the back of the net three arm. times,
1: didn't he? You know, yeah,
2: yeah. Armstrong looked really good. Yeah. Um, you know, Gineppo looked good. You know, it's it, it's not all you know, it's not all hands lost, but it is. You just got to hope this is a learning curve, and I wonder if you know you you got to wonder the how many other teams in the Premier League are trying something pretty different to something that was to a successful policy from last year, like you know without any preseason games. Yeah. Um, which is what they need to do. You know, maybe they would have had a tour of Austria and a couple of games, at you know, a tournament and maybe a two or three, you know, a couple of friendly games at home to bed in this new system. And instead, we've just gone straight at it. Don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. I mean,
1: I, I guess kind of like you're looking at Burnley and you're saying they pro- they don't have anyone with the same pace as Son. I mean, Jay Rodriguez is not hugely slow, not slow. but he's more...
2: And Dwight he's, McNeil is
1: fast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe Dwight McNeil you a winger. So. Maybe, maybe yeah. there's a chance that this will work better against Burnley um, than against Tottenham. So we can perhaps you know be hopeful, but we don't tend to fare very well against the lump it forward, pragmatic teams like... Burnley, West Ham, Newcastle, United. So, I mean, but if you think we've lost six points to where we were last season in the fact that we've lost to Tottenham at home and Palace away, where we picked up wins um, last time around, well, then Burnley is a place that we definitely lost at last season. So, here's a chance to kind of take that deficit down to minus three rather than minus six.
2: Yeah. But well, I guess as well, I mean, one way, yeah, my my worry is that. um Saints still have, I think, a soft centre when it comes to those big long balls at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Narek and, and Stevens have not turned into commanding Van Dyke or Gary Keogh. You know, even like Gary Keogh or like that kind of, you know, Michael Keane sort of good, big, strong centre-back at the back. They're not. They're still not that player. So in fact, like, my worry is, is we've actually given ourselves two weaknesses because we've got a high line that we can't play and we're still soft in the air. So... You're worried that we've now got kind of two chinks in our arm instead of mm. one. Um, but I think it'll be—you've got to trust Ralph. Um, yeah, he's still absolutely, he's absolutely the right man for the job. we mm. are still lucky to have him, and um, but the club needs to back him. And you know, we keep banging on about these centre backs, John. But sorry, centre midfield players. But my God, like what are we doing letting Harry Reid go? Yeah. For eight million. I know eight million is a lot of money, but
1: to be honest, I would have probably not have played in the
2: Premier League. It's you know it's going to be worth a lot more.
1: Yeah, I I think I would have played. Um, so you now you're having go get Cassandra's for talking about relegation, but you know there's a little hint at it there, Tom. So and
2: yeah, that, but what? if you think about it, it's, it's three three league places, John. It's eight million quid. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know, like, if we get off to a bad start. And you know, we finished I don't know, 14th instead of eleven. That's just money for Harrison Reid's got and you know, Harrison Reid didn't look that bad against Arsenal. You know, he, he's a very he's a good player and I get the feeling he would have could have come back into that Saints team and you know maybe he wouldn't play him against Man City, but at home against Brentford, you know, yeah, he's he giving you a little bit more. You know, they're giving you a bit more forward movement, break the line. You know, we've got fast players, and we need to get the ball. To them
1: and ahead of them, and Romeo, all his, you know, attributes is not that. No, no, Tom. I, I've got another question to ask you, which is kind of a an observation from the three games, um, and that kind of well, you know, I, I think kind of in Project Restart with the drinks break in the second half, we saw Ralph really able to get his message across to the players on the pitch. Um. James Will Prowse I thought was fantastic during Project Restart as well but I, I'm wondering if those three games if we lacked that talisman on the pitch that leadership on the pitch or the player who can get the manager's message onto the pitch in a way that's more yeah. subtle than just Ralph shouting
2: I think I mean that's what Hoiberg gave you didn't it? he he gave you that he really was a leader um it, it's we're very um you know, we seem to be nice guys again, don't we, rather than nasty pieces of work. Um, and maybe we need to learn to be a bit nasty. But then the problem you've got is, you know, Romeo get we saw it, Romeo gets booked in early on in the game and he's kind of ruined his effectiveness. And if we work this out, then you know, teams are gonna almost try and get draw out fouls from him, aren't they? The game book just making completely redundant um it's just a very
1: yeah
2: i don't
1: know okay well um obviously we know that uh gal and Sans and everyone uh, listens to this podcast say, so, yeah um guys get out there let's let's um let's buy someone who's Please. who's going to be able to translate ralph's Play onto the pitch, a sense filled with great leadership qualities. Um,
2: but John, you point to a bigger point there, isn't it, which is about the ownership of the club and um, you know, what's the owner in it for? The owner's in it is to create a self-sustaining football club. Well, good luck with that. You know, unless every few years you're finding a Coutinho that you sell for 150 million or you're finding a Van Dyke, it's going to be very hard to create a competing self-sustaining team.
1: Yeah. It's it, it's a um, business model which I think is probably destined not to work in the long run. Um, I, I always feel like, as well, in the Premier League, every summer every team tries to take you know a few giant leaps forward, don't they? Um, and quite often, Saints, I think, especially you know when we finish well, we just don't try to improve in the same way that other teams seem to try to improve to, to strive to get better players and, and and you know we were so much lauded for our transfer dealings like you know you look at that summer when and joined us and we sold half the first team squad and you thought well like, what on earth are we doing but then we brought in Pele and Tadic and Mane and you know you, you look at that transfer window and you just think well actually they, that was really clever and we we did continue going forward but we're just not doing that at the moment and you know that is a deeper problem i I think i think gal probably wants to sell the club and i think if we can find the right sort of suitor for saints then you know that would probably be a good thing but it's it's a different financial world out there now isn't it the the multi-billionaires might not be feeling so frivolous with their money
2: yeah, and also, why would you buy Saints? You know, like, if you could buy another, I guess because we're a bit cheaper. But my worry as well is that Gal clearly, uh, would sell Saints to probably anyone. Mm. You know, he doesn't have, and I think, yeah, Katrina Lieber has probably not shown herself in the best possible light in her stewardship of her father's club. And, um, you know, that means they'll sell to anyone. I mean, we linked to that the American guys that bought Bordeaux and sort of ransacked Bordeaux. You know, there, there's gonna be no moral scruples about who owns that club. No. Yeah, you know, there's no link to the community. Gal will disappear and be a footnote in history. Um so he'll just sell to anyone. Yeah. the you know, due diligence we know doesn't mean anything. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of questions. I, mean, I, I think, you know we are being a bit pessimistic, but these are you know, this point about our net spend for this summer being what, you know, is 12
1: million or something is alarming yeah i mean it's it, it's interesting isn't it because like the the turnover from the tv is significant and you know yes they spend a lot on wages but there should still be a bit of money sloshing about to continually improve improve the squad anyway tom we, we've been chatting for an hour now um oh dear. i think that there are some deeper questions about the ownership and the club's model and how successful that will be. And I think we're dwelling on those because yeah, we weren't asking those questions when things were going well in Project Restart because it was much more fun talking about the football. So I'm going to hope we're not going to be talking about the ownership issues um, next week, but we'll actually be talking about how the high line and um, everything else worked perfectly against Burnley and we got three points. Wouldn't that be yeah,
2: good? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Oh, that'd yeah. be amazing, John. But you know, and that's the crazy thing, isn't it about football? Get three points on Saturday night and all oh, happy days again.
1: Yeah. Um, so listeners thank you very much for sticking with us Uh, once again we hope that you've enjoyed the show if you would like to get in in contact with us please do so: saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at saintsfcpodcast and you know we thank edward and william and ray and um graham and james and chris and everyone else who, who tweets us regularly dan as well um y- you've all been tweeting at us and, and there's some good chat going on there so com or at saintsfcpodcast on twitter um it's bye-bye from me
2: goodbye from me
1: cheerio everyone